Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The most appropriate way for us to exercise Benedictine hospitality is by going online because we had no money and um, very little room in the house we were renting at the time. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. But if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions or listen and interact with us live, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. You'll get instant access to our entire back catalogue of extended shows. How nice. Um, now, I should just put a little uh, addendum to the intro here. If I sound a little bit different, it's because for technical issues that were uh, unforeseen this week, I've had to resort to using my video lapel mic, which is what I use for micing people up on, on video. Uh, so I will not sound my usual uh, pristine self, but we decided that we'd, we'd better do this with slightly lower sound quality for one week than not do it at all and leave you leave you guys hanging. That was the right decision, I think, wasn't it, Ian? I, I think so, yes. I, I sort of feel like we should at least, even if it's not the greatest sound quality, we should at least try and do it. Absolutely. Why, why not? But it's we too ha- sunny out, can't go outside. We do have a very special feature coming up this week, though, that will uh, be a, a nice interlude, I think, from my lapel mic sound quality. And that is because earlier in the week, I followed up on a promise that I made a few weeks ago on the show and spoke to Sister Catherine Wyburn, who is a Benedictine nun in, um, in Hereford. And she spoke to us about her use of technology in her monastery and how, as a nun, she uses technology on a daily basis to, to reach communities. And she talked a bit about her history with coding and things like that. That is a lot of fun, and it's coming up uh, later in the show in between uh, the news sections today. So do look out for that. It's excellent. I've heard it. It's great. Anyway, it's nice to be uh, back podcasting with you, uh, Ian. And shall we get on with some news? And you too, yes, absolutely, let's. Let's. Well, YouTube is expanding its subscription-based music and video services to the UK and 11 other countries. This is according to a BBC write-up this week. Now, this premium facility strips ads from the platform's content and also allows it to be downloaded rather than just streamed. The price is around the same as Spotify, Apple Music uh, and and things, but you pay a little bit more if you want the um, what was the YouTube Red content, the sort of YouTube originals sort of thing, uh, which I think costs about another two or three pounds more, which I'm not bothered about. However, I have, si- I have signed up for a trial for this because although I don't care about listening to music on YouTube in the slightest, I do watch a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of the podcasters that I enjoy make their, va- their videos available on YouTube. And it's frustrating to sit through ads and to uh, to have overlays and things like that. So there's a three-month trial. I've I signed up this week and so far I'm liking it. It'll really be a test to see whether I'll want to continue it 
after the three month trial is over and start paying another ten pounds a month for something. But um, but I'm very curious to hear other people's opinions. Ian, have you signed up? Well, no, I haven't. But it does come with Google Play Music, doesn't it? It does. So, I mean, technically, it would replace Spotify if you or, or Apple Music if you were so minded. So it's actually, in terms of pricing, it's not bad. It's a little bit more. I don't care about the YouTube Red stuff so much. And I'm also kind of irritated by the general fact that uh, Google has tended to ignore the UK. Um, so I was sort of surprised that they said this was coming here. But I guess YouTube Red was very much a trial, I think. And this is, this is the service that's evolved out of it. And Red has gone away, hasn't it now? I think this supersedes Red, yeah. Um, which is good because, I mean... The YouTube Red brand meant nothing. Like, I have no idea yeah. who thought that was a good idea. And, and Google's had a, a history of unusual choices for its media offerings. I mean, Google Play Music uh, doesn't really make any sense. I mean, it's almost it almost sounds like a Google Home command, doesn't it? Like, Google, you know, hey, yeah. I, won't, I won't say it, but you know what I'm going at, comma, Play Music. Like, that would kind of work, but um, I don't think that was the intention. No, and I mean... I. I think the problem I've always had with um, Google Play and Google's services in general is they're very, it's very difficult to know what any of them involve. Like, I, I don't understand what connection a music service has to taking adverts off YouTube. It just doesn't... It, why, why couldn't they be, like, five quid each or something? It just, it just feels like it's a confused service, and it always was, and I don't know how they're going to come out, overcome that, really. Well, I think they're going to overcome it by consolidating everything into this one platform. I mean, Google Play Music, I think, will go away, and you'll just have YouTube, and it will be a music streaming platform as much as a video platform. And I think that makes well, a lot of sense for Google, because it also be really means they can bundle it though. in with Android phones, um, potentially, you know, not dissimilarly to how uh, Apple does it, with Apple Music, you know, it's just there on your phone. I think that could be very compelling. Um, it would definitely give Spotify um, a, a, a real headache because it would basically mean that two of the biggest originators of mobile phone um, hardware and and software have essentially the possibility of bundling a music service, whereas Spotify doesn't have that. It's not yet in the hardware game, even though there are rumours of it. And and that also opens up another potential risk for, for all these companies. I mean, if you remember what happened with Internet Explorer and Windows Media Player and, and things back in the in the 2000s when Microsoft got in trouble for, for bundling and setting its browsers as a default and it had to release entirely different versions of Windows just to get around the European uh, Commission's uh, sort of anti-competitive rulings um and I, and I do wonder if we'll see a bit of that in this space um perhaps so if, if spotify feels uncharitable about it they could certainly raise merry hell couldn't they they certainly could and uh, being based in europe as well i think there's there'd definitely be a friendly ear at the european commission they've they, they certainly take a hard line on this kind of thing and have done in the past now yeah. um in, so a few interesting things here. I think Stephen Huxtable said he's uh, also tried it. He's uh, with us in our live Discord chat room as well. If anyone else has signed up to this and got a trial of it, let us know what you feel. Um, I, I noticed an interesting write-up on Engadget uh, simultaneously this week about this new service uh, in, in the UK. And it did point out that one of the challenges that YouTube will have in Britain specifically is that we've got very good carrier support, mobile network support for both Spotify and Apple Music. So most of our networks now will bundle either a Spotify subscription, which you know Vodafone does, for example, or Apple Music subscription, which EE does. And they're two of the biggest 
networks in the UK and, and you'll get that offer you know, on sign up for no extra cost. Whereas YouTube doesn't have that right now, which I think is challenging. And I still think that even in Britain, YouTube is still seen very much primarily as a video service. Like, yeah, very much so. Why wouldn't it be? It well, is a video platform. So it's not necessarily, I think, going to be seen as a competitor to Spotify and Apple Music until brand-wise and interface-wise and, you know, whatever else-wise, it, it makes a change that, it, that puts music front and centre, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just, I just don't understand why it's... It just feels very confused, and I don't know why it's going to be carrying the YouTube brand. I know that the kids mostly don't listen to music on music services. They use YouTube um, and would like to be able to minimise it, which is one of the key offerings here, right? Mm. So um, John in the chat asks about how this affects net neutrality rules in the US. I would suggest having a listen to uh, Daily Tech News Show earlier in the week because Tom Merritt and friends uh, did discuss the YouTube rollout and they've talked a lot about net neutrality, of course, as well. I mean, in Britain, technically, they could zero rate it. Uh, EE zero rates Apple Music. So you can, if you sign up for Apple Music via EE, the downloads don't count towards your limit. So I don't see any reason why that couldn't be replicated with YouTube on another network. I could see somebody like Three basically saying YouTube is zero rated if you have one of these premium subscriptions with them. I could see that happening. Well, Uh, they already do it for Netflix without the need for any subscription. Well, there you go. So, so it's it's inevitably going to happen, I suspect. I just, that doesn't mean it's a good thing. I'm not in favour of it at all. No, uh, me neither. But we've we've covered that base many times in the <laughs> past. Um, but anyone who's got any views on this, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. If anyone has signed up to this as a direct replacement for Spotify, Apple Music, or anything similar to those, that would be a very interesting case study. Do let us know that. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Ian, we're going to talk about sport again, but this time instead of balls being hit with the legs, it's balls being hit uh, with uh, rackets. Rackets. Yes, uh, using the the, the torso legs or or arms, as they're more commonly referred to. Um, That's because the Wimbledon Tennis Tournament is going to be the next set of live events to be streamed in 4K and HDR to UK viewers by the BBC, according to would you guess, the BBC this week. It's going to follow the current trial that's going on with the World Cup football matches being shown on iPlayer using uh, using 4K technologies. And uh, once again, though, this is going to be sort of given out on a first-come, first-served basis, which is exactly what they've done for, for football. There's sort of tens of thousands of people, they say, uh, are going to be allowed to sort of sign up as the match is about to start, rather than just letting anyone switch it on. But it's a, it's a good sign that, that the BBC is continuing to do this. I know that it's getting a lot of data back, usage data, which presumably it, it's just ingesting to analyse in order to make future 4K streaming kind of a, a standard availability. But with, with tennis, I'm even more excited because I don't give a damn about football, but tennis, I, I care slightly more about. <laughs> It's almost still virtually not caring at all, though, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's, it's a finite, non-zero level of, of caring uh, for tennis, whereas football is, is, is very much uh, absolute zero. 
Yeah, tennis is good. I mean, I, I I don't have the time to sit down and watch long tennis matches, but I I think the sport is entertaining enough. And does it really benefit from 4K or you know yes. uh, HDR? Yeah, well, I guess. So. I, I think sport. This is the thing. You know, everyone talks about frame HDR rate. being better than being more important to to viewing quality than 4K. But honestly, in sport, when I've seen it in 4K, I think the resolution itself is more important than. Than, uh, than the HDR because the people are little, the ball's little, on a big screen close up, you can actually see more of it, presumably. Uh, again, well, I've not tested yes, it sp- myself, but that's the theory. No. Um, I suppose so, yeah. So you haven't even tried the 4K uh, football or anything like that just to, just to see? It's not so much that I, I haven't wanted to, it's more that I actually haven't had the opportunity to since the games have been on because I've been, I've been busy. But I have well, heard not that all it's, of them it's on very the good. Either. Yeah, um, yeah. Stephen Huxtable in, in the chat saying he loves it at 4K, and and I can totally believe that. I, I can't see why it would be anything less than uh, than excellent. But um, but th- there was a story I read also this week that that intrigued me about why HDR might be more interesting for tennis than it is with football, which is because in Wimbledon, because of the way the sun goes over the pitches, the the late in the day matches are often obscuring part of the pitch and possibly one of the players in shadow which is exactly yes. something that hdr would hopefully be able to address and, and raise more of the detail containing those shadows and give you a better picture does that make sense yeah and that's and that and that's true but that's also true of football i think you often see uh, pitches shaded in uh, shadow although they, they've sort of got away with that now by uh, running floodlights the whole time which i suppose they could do at wimbledon uh, but yes it's certainly a problem i've, I've noticed it in the past hmm um, so Wimbledon begins on the 2nd of July. Do we have anyone playing? Do, I mean, does England play tennis or is it one of those? Yes, I believe some of the people from England do in fact play and some from Scotland too. I'm not sure about the Welsh. Andy, uh, what's the Scottish chap's name? Andy um, something. Help me out, chat Yes. Room. Murray, thank Murray. you. Yes, Andy Murray. Couldn't um, be a more Scottish name, could it? I be- Well, Andy McMurray. Fair enough. Uh I I think he he says he's Scottish, doesn't he? He's, he said before he plays for Scotland, not yeah, for Yeah, he is Scottish. Britain. He's definitely Scottish. There's no denying he's Scottish. Yeah. It's just there isn't really... I guess, I guess it's... Well, yeah, he's just considered part of the UK by England until yes. such time as we're beating them or not beating them in football or something like that. What, other than sport, should we really be pushing for in 4K? For me, it's always um... documentaries. Yeah, natural history stuff would look great in 4K and HDR and yeah. high frame rates, I think. Oh, uh, side note I noticed this week, for anyone, uh, Planet Earth 2 just landed on Netflix in 4K HDR. Oh, interesting. Or, or for, certainly 4K, I'm not sure about the HDR, but it's definitely on there as of this morning in uh, in 4K. It was previously on there in HD, but now it's on in 4K. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. I wonder what they've, why they've changed that to 4K all of a sudden. Bump up subscriptions, declining 4K Blu-ray sales, yeah, money, yeah, John says enough. in the chat. Uh, Nick in the chat room also says that Cats in Boxes is something he paid to watch in 4K. Now, I'll tell you what, that is already an option. Go on YouTube, ch- type 4K Cats, you'll see some amazing stuff. 4K slow motion dogs is even better because a lot of those dogs are wet. And seeing a very <laughs> happy, wet golden retriever jumping around all happy, tongue all over the place, legs akimbo as he cruises through the air uh, on a cloud of happiness. It is joyful. If anything, that's worth the YouTube subscription alone. True, but not necessary because you can watch it for free, right? 
Yes. Uh, John also mentions porn in 4K. I, I'll be honest, I've not seen any 4K porn. I don't have any desire to either. Um, I think some things are best left to uh, the obscurity of standard definition. <laughs> we'll leave it there. He says, let's what be clear, me neither. What am I searching for neither. on YouTube? Dogs in slow motion? Yeah, slow motion, slow motion wet dogs, slow motion uh, golden retriever 4K. It's uh, it's it's it's, it's better than porn. <laughs> I mean, it's arguably and legally less sexy, I suppose, but uh, but it's definitely more family friendly. Right, uh, I think that's best to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, if you've got any views on uh, the recent experiments the BBC's been doing with 4K sport, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Why is tennis better than football? Let us know. Ian, a few weeks ago, we talked uh, briefly about nuns and we yes. talked a little bit also about technology as used by nuns. This followed a story at the time where the Pope had advised nuns use caution on social media. And after I did a little bit of Googling, I found out that we actually have some very digitally savvy nuns in Britain. And at the time of recording, I promised to get in touch with one of them and see if they would be interested in talking to us about the kind of technology that that monasteries have. What kind of technology do they use? Why do they use it? And uh, are they allowed to use it? And I followed up on that promise. And earlier this week, I spoke to Sister Catherine Wyborn, who is a cloistered uh, Benedictine nun in, uh, in Hereford. And she agreed to talk to me about her life using technology as a nun. And let's just say... I learnt a lot about just how digitally savvy nuns can be. My background is academia and banking. And when I entered the monastery back in the Dark Ages, there was a, a, a system whereby one was given jobs that one knew absolutely nothing about. So I did things like poultry keeping. Then I was put in the 1980s into the printing press at the monastery. And it was just at that time when we were converting from letterpress to offset. And, of course, photo typesetting was all the rage. And the printer's uh, machine of preference was the Mac. So, of course, I got early into design. And then I discovered that there was this wonderful thing called the Internet. And then there was the web. And I like to know how things work. So after building a, a, a few websites, I decided I wanted to take this a bit further. And then, of course, there are all sorts of helpful publications on the web, like, dare I say it, Wired and Smashing Magazine, which enabled me from within the confines of the monastery to learn a bit more about how things actually work. So can you describe a little bit about how technology fits into your, your average week now and, and how you use it to support uh, your monastery? There was a period when I actively designed websites for other people, and that was very useful because it gave us an income. I do much more consultancy work now because I find that although it's quite easy to make a website or an app for oneself because there's so many sort of template models out there. A lot of people are still quite afraid of tackling this great unknown. 
I think some of the big security um, breaches that we've all heard about have worried people still more. So what I tend to do is I hold people's hands, if you like, and um, I spend more time advising people now on how to avoid some of the, the mistakes I myself made in the past than I do actively developing things. I think it's a natural progression. I probably spend, I would say, an hour or two a day on um, things connected with the Internet. And, of course, we are quite active as a community with blogging and social media. And that's very useful, too, actually, because when people know about us, sometimes they send us nice donations. <laughs> you, you mentioned using a Mac. I mean, I have to ask because... Uh... Well, because I, I want to. Uh, do you have a preference over over Mac PC these days, iPhone or Android? Do you keep up to date with the latest announcements from, from Apple and Google regarding uh, yes. what they're doing? Yes, we're, we're both Mac and PC, but I have to say I much prefer the Mac. And I'm very fond of my iPad. The only um, smartphone we have is an iPhone 4 that was given us by uh, a rich friend and we've never been able to afford to upgrade it. It's a fantastic phone, uh, the, the iPhone 4, one of the best they made until the iPhone 6, actually. Really? So it's, yeah. uh, it's, not, it's not a bad phone to still, to still have, I would say. No, well, I'm quite happy with it. Nobody's going to mug me for it, are they? <laughs> I, I really hope not. Now, in, in a recent post on your blog, I, I smiled at something in particular because you'd written, it seems to be only a few years ago that we nuns laughed about being given permission to use fax machines with due discretion and limitations, naturally, and were tempted to email our response, only the Vatican wasn't using email at the time. So is it true you had to seek permission to use a fax machine? Well, not exactly. Um, we were granted that permission by the Vatican in 1999, when we'd been using fax machines for some years. Um, I think the trouble is that Rome tends to be a little bit behind the curve where technology is concerned. And just at the moment, there's um, a lot of discussion about whether cloistered nuns like us should really be using the Internet, social media and stuff like that. And... What always strikes me is that Rome doesn't really take into account the fact that individual communities may actually have in place a policy about uh, the usage of such things as the Internet and the web. Uh, we sat down back in 2003 when we were newly forming as a community and said the most appropriate way for us to exercise Benedictine hospitality is by going online because we had no money and, and very little room in the house we were renting at the time. It seems to me like it would be a little bit um, unfair if Rome dictated that you couldn't use social media, given that the Pope is actually very active on, on Twitter and has millions of followers. I, I think it's all to do with the way in which cloistered nuns are perceived. And don't forget, one of the disadvantages of being a global organisation, like the Catholic Church, is that rules are put in place which are meant to cover everybody. And the situation of ourselves here in Britain is probably quite different from the situation of small monasteries and nuns in southern Europe or in the Far East. So, so did you have to seek permission at all to, to use social media or run a blog or, or publish YouTube videos and podcasts and things like that that I know you, you do? Well, the great thing about being a small autonomous monastery is that we're independent. So um, the bishop who um, was in charge of us 
uh, said basically, I, I trust you, I know that you will be very sensible. Um, make your own decisions about these things. And we sat down as a community and said, yes, we want to make use of these things. And I was the one who was given the task of being, if you like, the voice of the community online, because it would be a bit hard for all of us um, to engage, I think, because we need to keep the house fairly quiet and, and so forth. But mm. There is also the problem that if one is online and one attracts a certain amount of um, interest or engagement from people, it does generate a lot of messages and emails and that kind of thing, which can take up a lot of time. Probably quite a majority of listeners would, would assume that a nun's use of technology is, is minimal or, or non-existent. I mean, would that be a fair assumption? Or, or do you think that actually there are more nuns who are tech users than people might expect? I think there are probably more users um, than people would expect. I personally have waged a bit of a campaign to say, look, um, young people do a lot of their engaging via online uh, media. And if that's where people are, that's where we've got to be too. Um, I think there is a, a, a whole problem with the perception of nuns as being ancient and rather unworldly and perhaps um, a little bit silly where technology is concerned. Uh, with that in mind then, I mean, have you have you considered using sort of Snapchat and, and Instagram and, and some of these uh, messaging systems? We certainly have. Um, one of the problems with Instagram for us is we're not terribly good at photographing or video making. And the growth of the visual over the written word does present us with quite a lot of challenges. Um, I don't know whether it's just because we're too ancient or whether it's simply that the nature of our life, which is very much based on, on reading and prayer and so forth, is, is so word-centred that we don't quite grasp the, important of the vi- importance of the visual. I mean, I'm one mm. of the people who gets really annoyed with the BBC for making its website, its news website, um, mainly video these days, because with the very pathetic download speeds that we have, it's very difficult to get the news quickly. Well, what is your internet connection? I'm curious. Four megs, max. Oh, dear. Yes. Do you get 4G over the monastery? Could you use a, a 4G dongle? Uh, we, we've got a 4G dongle. But we're also not too far from military establishment that we think probably blocks the mobile signal at times. And so, for ah. example, I'm holding a video conference with our oblates. That's people who belong to the monastery but live in their own homes. And um, I suddenly find that we've lost our connection and there's no way of getting it back. So I have to revert to the broadband, which is so pathetically slow. That's, oh a, real, that's a real limitation. Over the course of history, I mean, has technology been a, a disruptor to religious practice, do you think? Oh, not at all. I mean, when you think that the first printing press in England, printing was the technology of the day in the 16th century, um, was at the Benedictine Monastery at Glastonbury, and that uh, many of the best uh, printing presses of the last few hundred years have actually been run by monasteries, I would say, no, not at all. I think we're great adopters of um, technology. Um, the next time you enjoy a glass of champagne, think of Don Perignon, who um, used technology to put the bubbles into bottles of wine. Very important. And very delicious, crucially. Yeah. Um, 
Well, thank you uh, so much for your for your time today. I mean, if anyone is looking to to get in touch uh, or connect with you, or your monastery, your work, what's the best way for them to to do that? I think probably either to go onto our website benedictinenuns.org.uk or to send an email um, info at benedictinenuns.org.uk. There is also a separate mobile um, website which is just benedictinenuns.net, and that has a contact form too. But you are at the end of at Digital Nun on Twitter, though, as well. Yes, definitely. Yes. Which, uh, which hopefully will remain uh, operational over your four megabit connection for the foreseeable future. Yes, and we hope that one day we might get super fast broadband. Well, Ian, um, something that very much could help Sister Catherine yes. with her uh, internet connectivity issues is 5G, of course. Oh, could it? it well, absolutely it could, mate. Absolutely it could. Because, and Vodafone said on Wednesday it will begin testing 5G mobile networks in seven of Britain's 10 largest cities later this year. And this is a part of a plan to start limited deployments uh, in some denser urban areas next year, which is extremely exciting. Less so for me since I left Vodafone two weeks ago. But Ah. anyway, um, Vodafone is the third largest operator, I think, in Britain. And it's going to be laying uh, laying some groundwork, it says, for 5G services as a supplement initially to existing 4G networks at 40 locations. Uh, These will include Birmingham, Bristol, Cardiff, Glasgow, Liverpool, London and Manchester, according to a Reuters write-up this week. So they're uh, they're the seven initial areas and it's hoping to start deploying uh, consumer ready 5g phones on its network around maybe 2020 um, um which is not really that long away if you think about it not really no no two years i mean we're a little bit behind on 5g um some, you think so yeah some european countries are rolling it out this year i mean south korea will be the first Without yeah, question. Yeah, does it really matter? I mean, what's 5G going to give us that we don't have with 4G? I mean, what, what, sell it to me. Sell it to me in one sentence. Why am I going to be excited about 5G? Go. 5G brings probably 10 to 20 times faster speeds than the fastest 4G we have now. But it also at, at brings end, a right? lower latency. And I'll give you a real world example of why low latency is important. 4G latency wise is sort of like if you put your hand into a fire, 4G won't respond in time to tell you to pull your hand out before you have second degree burns. Right. 5G will give you a more human-like knee-jerk reaction. And if you put your hand in fire, it will immediately pull it out. So you'll avoid burns. And the reason why that's important, it's not because we're necessarily going to have 4G enabled, 5G enabled hubs and hands, although <laughs> that probably will happen. But it means that devices that really rely on latency for, for, um, for security, for things like car to car networks, you know, being able to detect when a car is slowing down, things like that. Stephen in the chat room says shoehorns. Not entirely sure we're going to see that, but I love the uh, enthusiasm uh, for, for the horn. Um, it's going to make a huge difference. 
it's going to make a massive, massive difference to the ability for cars to talk to other cars uh, and for other machines to talk to other machines yeah. in a, a, with, this, with the speed and the response time that can take security to the next level. And I say security, I don't mean security like cyber security. I mean security as in uh, not having a machine crush a person or having a car uh, crash into another car. Um, no, that's, the, that's the real benefit of, of 5G. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and John I, that, says that mobile multiplayer gaming, which yes, will definitely help. But but I think the um, it, it's really the the sort of machine to machine increase of latency that that is what gets people very excited in terms of like mass deployment. Yeah, I, and actually your your example there is actually quite a good one um, because in terms of I mean in terms of speed, four G is capable of much more than it actually delivers at the moment. So I'm not too worried about that. But yes, I I do take the latency argument. But I, I hear a lot of Internet of Things talk around 5G, and that makes sense because obviously there is a benefit to having Internet of Things things that are uh, that are quick to respond and don't have a, any latency problems and stuff like that. So I can sort of see it. I just don't think I think we're getting progressively further and further away where, away from where the public actually cares about um, the next step in speed. I don't think we're going to see three or four G kind of hysteria um around this as we had in the past. Uh, no, so- because I mean four G right now, if you're in if you're in one of the bigger cities in a good area that's not super, super congested, you can see your four G I mean I've personally seen my four G hit sixty, seventy, eighty megabits uh per second. You know, it's it, it's incredibly fast. Yeah. And it's capable of delivering more than that too. It's yeah. just a matter of, you know Yeah. Well, EE, I know, has done tests that have exceeded 300 megabits per second. Yes. Um, which is, as you know, I mean, that's as fast as my home broadband, my home fiber, which is 390. Well, it's almost as fast as my home broadband. Um, let us know. Any thoughts you have on 5G, if you're excited, hello at techpodcast.uk. Well, Ian, one of the other things 5G could be beneficial at, uh, at helping is VR, wireless VR. That's It's a very high bandwidth product to use, and it requires low latency to be, to be fun and not make you feel sick. And Nick Gassman has been chatting quite a bit this week about VR headsets and alternatives to things like Google Cardboard. And he posted a message in the Discord that I wanted to read out uh, because he bought something. Uh, Nick says, I've got the Bobo VR headset now and I'm impressed with it. It's comfortable. You plug the phone into an atta- into the attached speakers and the eyepieces are adjustable. Uh, this, uh, this, I think, Nick, is uh, it's the one where you slide your phone into the device and wear it on your face, a bit like Google Cardboard. Uh, he says yes. Good. I did think so. Uh, Nick continues, Unfortunately, it doesn't help with the low resolution of live football, although for cartoon-like graphics and flat-screen viewing, it does work better. But this is the key thing. This is why I wanted to read this out. The headset is £20 from Amazon. £20 for a VR headset you can plug your phone into. Uh, And apparently works very nicely for that value, according to Nick. Uh, He says, It's an interesting proof of concept for VR watching, but at this point, doesn't beat a flat screen for watchability, assuming that's a word. Uh, I think it can be. Maybe other oh, phones than my iPhone 6 would have higher res screens. Possibly, they would, yes. Uh, and better processors to cope with it. I walked into town today to get the second replacement lightning charging port installed on the iPhone for 25 quid. Damn sight cheaper than Apple would charge, even if I do have to get one every 18 months. Little addendum there that I didn't read ahead of time. But <laughs> but nice to know, Nick. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah, if anyone else has got some uh, experiences with these kind of budget VR headsets, do let us know. We'd uh, love to do a little roundup, but 20 quid. I mean, we're getting to the point where it's, you know, I mean, you can actually make these yourself in, in, in some ways. Like the, the, the Google Cardboard's kind of a self-assembly thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And there, and, and there, there are a lot of options that are not very expensive. Um, the, the problem I've had is that getting them to fit your phone very precisely is a, is a challenge. Um, it's, it's definitely better to get one by the manufacturer if they make one. But of course, Apple doesn't do that. And uh, most don't. Well, I, um, my, my personal favourite is actually the, the Google Daydream. Um, which is, yeah. it's it's extremely comfortable. It's very, very light. The material it's made out of is is very luxurious. It's not too expensive for, for what it is. And and Google Daydream with one of the pixels in it is uh, is a really nice experience. And that's, yeah. that's, I've actually watched, if you remember, I filmed our wedding ceremony in, in VR and I've watched I it back remember. a couple of times um, using the Google Daydream and it's a, it's a great experience. Well, any more questions or opinions uh, what have you taken back to the shop and have repaired uh let us know any for next week's show it doesn't have to be about something we've talked about it could just be an experience you've had like nick did this week although he posted it in our discord but you can send it to <laughs> hello at techpodcast.uk or tweeters at text message pod ian shall we check in with our friend tom of merit over yes. in the us and see what's been going on in the global world of tech this week this week on Daily Tech News Show, we discovered that research says the internet doesn't spread belief in conspiracy theories, but it does deepen or strengthen people's existing beliefs in them. Celebrated the arrival of YouTube Music Premium outside the U.S., discussed ad-blocking browser Brave's plan to show you ads while protecting your privacy, explained the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on online sales tax, and covered some interesting attempts to encourage diversity in tech founders. All that and more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. Yes, they did discuss YouTube Premium as well earlier in the week. And, and we did point it out when we talked about it today. Uh, but we talked about it, uh, well, we talked about it with British accents in. I mean, that's different. Yeah, we did that. Yes. You know, and also I reckon we're sweating more than Tom was. They probably have air conditioning, don't they? I mean, goodness Poss- gracious me. Yeah, they are in LA. It's yeah. true. Well, Tom, uh, let us know how sweaty were you? Uh, let's compare sweat marks. <laughs> Um, but anyone, Jeez. thank you. <laughs> thank you to our patrons supporting us every week. Um, you guys are amazing and you help keep this show going truthfully and you help us feed our animals and our ourselves. Um, if you're not yet a patron, though, would like to get our ad free and extended versions or listen and interact with us live as you hear us doing now every week, just head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. The links are in the show notes. The links are in the MP3. Um, you'll get instant access to our entire back catalogue of extended shows right away as well. Um, and maybe you can help us finish this month with more, one more patron than we had last month. Yes, indeed. Send any comments to hello at techpodcast.uk and follow us on Twitter at textmessagepod. And please leave a review on iTunes. That's the best way of supporting us for free. And it helps us just as much. It certainly, certainly does. So from me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you in a week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.